I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, as we continue this series called Life Together. Let's pray together as we begin our time in God's Word. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your truth. Would you allow this truth to convict us, to transform us, to spur us on to not merely be hearers of the Word, but to be doers of the Word. So Lord, would you have your way in our hearts? Would you Open our eyes and our ears and give us grace that we may receive your word in a way that would transform us today. So Lord, we ask for that grace. Even now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, are there people in your life that you could do without? I mean, if they were simply to cease to exist right now as I speak, you would see your life as somehow made better. Maybe it's that annoying coworker or a demanding neighbor or family member or an obnoxious classmate. I don't know who it is, but I'm sure that as I say this, there are visions of people's faces that are emerging in your brain. Now, hopefully, some of you are being sanctified, and that's not the case, but there are people in our lives that sometimes we would prefer to simply avoid. They're those EGR people, extra grace required. In 1998, a book came out called This is the title of the book, People I Could Do Without, written by Donald Smith. Don't know who Donald Smith is, but this is the book. Includes 17 chapters of different types of people that he could quote-unquote do without. Several of the chapters were entitled The Whiners, Conspiracy Freaks, Single Subject Converts, Yarn Spinners, Sandpaper People. I don't know what these chapters mean. The chiselers and moochers. The past glory types. On and on he goes. But it's in his introduction that his purpose of the book is, is quite telling. This is what he says. He says, so when I speak of people whom I could live without through all eternity, I do so with the slightest hint, without the slightest hint of destructive emotion. Those people whom I cannot stand probably cannot stand me either. So what is the loss if we perch on different parts of the forest? I see it as the best of all worlds. You know, as he expresses his pleasure of seeking a life void of all of the different kinds of people that annoy him, he claims that it is the best of all worlds in the Certainly the question for you and I to consider there is, would that be a Christian response? 
And our answer would be immediately no, but is that how our heart often responds? Can you say with a clear conscience this morning that for those people that annoy you, if they were to drop off the planet, that there would not be the slightest hint of satisfaction in your heart? Well, today we're considering what it means to bear with one another. Forbearance. And we get that from Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 3. This is the word of God. Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are called as brothers and sisters in Christ, to bear with one another in life. One of the marks of a Christian is that you are able to bear with others. So we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to walk through these three verses, consider what it looks like to forbear, to bear with others, to be patient, to endure with other people. Let's consider three observations about what it means to bear with others that really should motivate us today, by God's grace, that it should motivate us towards forbearance. First point is this, bearing with one another reflects our calling as Christians. Bearing with one another Bearing with one another reflects our calling. When Paul calls the Christian community here in Ephesians 4 to bear with one another, we need to understand that this call is is connected to something greater. He says, I urge you. There's urgency here. There's pleading here. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he goes on to qualify what that looks like in calling the Christian community to forbearance, to bear with one another. Bearing with one another or showing tolerance for one another simply means to endure, to be patient with, to put up with, to suffer. Here, bearing with one another serves as a participle modifying that imperative to walk in a manner. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So, in other words, bearing with one another is what it means, part of what it means to walk as a Christian. This is not optional Christianity. This is part of your character as being redeemed, rescued by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit now taking residence in you, conforming you to the image of Christ. But one of the great challenges we have in bearing with one another is that many times we simply don't want to do it. When we find people irritating or challenging The last thing we want to do is forbear. Oftentimes, we simply want to ignore such a person completely, or we want to put them in their place, or we want them to disappear. 
reminded of that classic Peanuts cartoon, I think I've used this before, but I think it's appropriate again, that opens with Linus curled up in a chair, quietly reading a book. Lucy stands behind him with this funny look on her face. It's very strange, Lucy tells him. It happens just by looking at you. What happens, Linus asks. Well, Lucy calmly answers, I can feel a criticism coming on. Well, friends, let's be honest. There are people in our lives that that's how we respond. We simply can look at them and be irritated. We can simply, they can just simply walk into the room and our whole demeanor changes. And friends, that could happen even in the church. This is not something that comes easy. We should be honest with ourselves, but we should see that it is clearly attached to our calling as believers. The Bible uses calling in many instances as a reference to our salvation. It's highlighting that, that act of divine grace that brings us to God and salvation, reminds us that our salvation is ultimately dependent upon the calling and work of God. Paul puts it a different way in Colossians 3 verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then he goes on and he continues to talk about Many different things, but including in that is, included in that is forbearance. So what's going on here is that before Paul, by the Holy Spirit, before he gets to the issue of forbearance, he wants us, God wants us, to feel the weight of his calling upon our lives. You were called. You were snatched. You were rescued. You were brought in grace to Christ. You think about the calling that we have as Christians. The calling that we have as Christians was actually the fruits of God's forbearance towards us. Romans chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says there, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead, to lead you to repentance. Friends, here's the point. When you find it extremely difficult and challenging to bear with others, and I'm not sure that we will, able, that we will ever find it easy, that's why it's being commanded. This is why we're being reminded this is not something we're going to naturally do all of the time. We need to be spurred on to this end. But when we find it challenging and difficult, friends, we need to just pause for a moment, don't we? We just need to pause and remember that it was the forbearance of God towards us that ultimately led to our redemption. I mean, we stood firmly planted against God, and yet He patiently pursued us. We are prone to wonder, as the hymn writer says, yet God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We are forgetful about the mercies of God, and yet God is so kind to forgive. We are ungrateful, and yet God is abundant in his provision. Friends, compared to the wrongs we've committed against God, the wrongs we are called to endure from others are nothing. 
So when you are irritated or frustrated or angry or wanting to avoid certain people or just flat out annoyed that someone is ruining your day, friends, you need to run quickly to the gospel and swim in those gospel waters for a while, reminding yourself that it was the patience and kindness and forbearance of God that allows you to take another breath, much less have everlasting life. You live because of God's forbearance. By the way, that is still true today for you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, God is patient. God is gracious. He is kind. He is generous. He is so patient. We'll never understand the depths of his patience. And Yet there's coming a day when that patience will come to an end and he will bring all to account and all will stand before him and be judged. And friend, if you continue in your sins, if you've not trusted in Jesus, God's provision for you to be rescued, if you've never trusted in him to find forgiveness of your sins, to find hope of everlasting life, then we would urge you and encourage you with every ounce of our being today to look to Jesus and rest in his grace Rest in his provision of salvation that he secured, accomplished fully upon the cross. If you'd simply look to him and trust in him, your sins would be forgiven. Depend upon that forbearance of God in Christ, and you will be saved. You will be welcomed into the family of God, and you, by the grace of God, will then begin to see how marvelous of a life he gives you. Bearing with one another reflects our calling. It's dependent upon our calling. Number two, bearing with one another requires certain qualities. Look at verse two. He says we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience. He had to throw that in there, didn't he? So the question is, is how do we bear with people? To bear with others most always requires an act of grace towards other people One, when they don't deserve it. Two, when we least desire it. (laughs) So now we see why it's so difficult for us to find ourselves in a place of forbearance. Because we're having to extend that to people that don't deserve it at the same time that we least desire it. So, how do we do this? Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He, he connects forbearance to several other qualities that have to be present in our heart, in our life, so that we can pursue this. Number one, he says humility. Friends, there is perhaps no greater quality that can mark a Christian and a Christian community than that of humility. Just as pride is the root of all sin, it could be easily said that humility is the root of all righteousness. I mean, the Bible makes... Regular, frequent mention of it. Isaiah 66, verse 2. This is the one to whom I will look, the Lord says. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. James chapter 4, verse 6 says clearly that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to, you tell me, the humble. Great Anglican pastor John Stott put it this way. He said, in every step of our Christian growth and maturity... And throughout every aspect of our Christian obedience and service, our greatest foe is pride. And our greatest ally is humility. 
Friends, if we are going to be a people that bear with one another, it must, it must find itself in the context of humble hearts. My prayer is that we would be known as a congregation marked by humility, marked by a humble spirit and attitude towards one another and certainly towards those who we are called to engage with the gospel. That people would find the humble spirit marking the people of God here at Redeeming Grace. We have to pursue humility and only by the grace of God can we. Number two, gentleness. Along with humility, God commends those who are gentle. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the meek, which is a similar language. We have to be gentle. Being harsh and critical are are two actions that we constantly have to work hard at avoiding because all of us can be harsh, critical in different ways. It doesn't just look one way. Some of us are better at it than others. We have to avoid this. We have to be careful that we're, we're gentle towards people. Even when, we're, even when we're facing trying circumstances, such as confronting sin, restoring other people, correcting error in people's lives, we are called to do that, even that, with gentleness. Galatians 6.1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, how? In a spirit of gentleness. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, it says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. As we're going to bear with one another, we're going to have to be gentle. We're going to have to be gentle with one another. And I realize there's a fine line of, of being gentle and, and humble and yet having to do the hard work sometimes of, of holding people accountable. But there's a way to do that. Third, patience. Just in case you haven't figured it out yet, people are going to try your patience. Have you, have you experienced that yet? Bearing with one another was never said to be easy. But we have to remember there are things, the Bible speaks clearly about this. There are things, even even our rights, that we must be willing to give up for the sake of helping others. Parents do this all the time with your children, don't you? I mean, there are plenty of things that you as a parent would love to be doing and love to be pursuing, but you willingly give those up for the time being to invest in the good of your children. Or if you're not doing that, by the way, we need to talk. I mean, there's a lot of things we as parents sort of have to give up. We have rights to them, but we give them up so that we can serve and be patient with and love our children. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, he likes that word urge, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. So those who are idle need admonishment encourage the faint-hearted those who are faint-hearted need encouragement help the weak the weak need help paul says in romans 15 that we are to bear with the failings of the weak but then he says this be patient with them all even in your admonishment even in in your 
helping, even in your encouragement, be patient. Friends, we need to learn discernment when it comes to speaking to others. Because usually it's in our speech that we show a lack of forbearance. So we need to learn the gift, oftentimes, of silence. There is a time to speak. We need to learn. Some of us need to learn to speak more. But some of us need to learn restraints. Fighter verse this week, right? We need to be what? Slow, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We need to be patient. So as we pursue this, this quality of forbearance and bearing with one another, it's going to require humility, gentleness, patience. And then he says we're to do it in love. Number three, bearing with one another realizes our goal. There's a purpose in forbearance, right? There's, there's a reason God calls us to this, and it's found in verse 3 of Ephesians 4. He says that we're to bear with one another in love, verse 3, eager to maintain what? The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You need to get this. Get the wording here because it's important. He says we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Unity, hear me clearly, unity is not something we are called to produce or achieve. It already exists. We are called to maintain it. We are called to maintain it. Unity exists in the gospel. The point he's making is that it is our responsibility to preserve the unity that God creates in the gospel. You think about that. Think about the community of of Christ. Think about the body of Christ, whether this local congregation or church universal. God has called us from all kinds of different backgrounds. Young, old, black, white, male, female, urban, rural, rich, poor, hip-hop, country. Cowboys, Redskins, on and on we could go. Just varying levels of differences and different contexts and backgrounds. And it's the gospel that brings all of these people, different as we are, together into one family. Beautiful picture. We are so different, and yet we are one together. The gospel calls us to be one, and that also means we have to be, must be, pursuing a radical commitment to one another. That's why we're working through these one another's. Being part of the body of Christ is not about you. It's about us. Being committed to a group of people that you might have vast differences with outside of the gospel is going to challenge you greatly. And we'll give you many, many reasons to test your forbearance. The more people are like you, the more patience you will have, sometimes. The more different people are from you, whether it's age or or whatever context you can come up with, the, the more different we are seems to be the more we struggle with forbearance. The point is, is that you're going to have many, many, many opportunities in the church Forget the world for a minute. In the church, many opportunities to test your forbearance. And so as we learn to bear with one another, 
we need to remember that we can do so because of the gospel and ultimately for the sake of unity. So you see the bookends here. They're important. It's the gospel or the, or the foundation moving up. The gospel is foundational. It's a calling that we have. The, as we bear with one another, it's reflective of that, and it's for a purpose of maintaining, preserving the unity that the gospel establishes in all of our differences. In their book called The Compelling Community, Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop, this is a book that our elders are reading and our staff's reading right now, they, they, they point out three challenges to unity that I think are helpful for us to understand as examples that will often test our forbearance that leads to unity. Let me just walk through them briefly. The first challenge to our unity they, they identify as ministry by similarity. Churches often build entire ministries on similarity. So you have certain churches that are known for a thriving singles ministry or a thriving youth minister, or a thriving women's minister, or this or that. So you think of this church, you think of a particular ministry. Now, while, while you're still awake, let me just say, there is a place for ministry by similarity. Women's ministries are important. We're getting ready to establish one. Youth ministries are important. Ministry by similarity has a place in the family of God. The problem is, is when we build an entire church on ministry by similarity, that's where we begin to challenge and stress un- or uh, challenge our unity. A church must not allow that approach to characterize its entire ministry because it obscures the supernatural diversity and differences that the gospel brings. In the book, they say, we read how the gospel united Jew and Gentile in Ephesus, but somehow we don't really see how it can unite a single mom and a retiree. And so we give them their own customized community. Friends, think about, I don't think we realize how different Jew and Gentile really was. And yet the gospel brought them together. The gospel should bring us all together, no matter the the differences that we have. And so what we do is when we produce ministry by similarity, and I grew up in Southern Baptist life, we're we're experts at it. We, We can segregate everyone into their own little customized communities. And while they have some place in the church, they should not be ultimate guiding, driving factors. Our circle of friends should not include only people like us. You will have these, and that's great. But you should also have relationships where you're friends with this person only because of the gospel. would make no sense otherwise. And so... When we begin to do this, you are going to be prone to, to be, or you're going to, to have challenges in, in bearing with one another outside of your circle of similarity. So we'll challenge you, and it will test the unity. Number two, consumerism is another thing that they say uh, hurts unity. You've heard me say this a few weeks ago. We have to quit viewing the church from a consumeristic mentality. I mean, we, we view the church like we do Christmas shopping. Who has the best deal? It's dangerous to look at the church from that consumer perspective. It's not about what the church can ultimately do for you, although we will try to do all that we can by the grace of God, but it's about how you can join a band of brothers and sisters and all our differences joining together for the sake and cause of the gospel. 
Because we aren't to be a church that's built around specific styles or, or trying to market ourselves in some particular way. I love what D.A. Carson said in a work he, he wrote called Love in Hard Places. He said, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common ancestry, common accents, I would be out, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love each other, who love each other for Jesus' sake. So we have to see the church not as a consumer, but as a provider in all of our differences, knowing that that's what brings unity, or that's what maintains the unity of the gospel. And then number three, the invisibility of the majority culture. Now in a church, a majority culture can be defined in many different ways. A church that's predominantly upper class or lower class. A church that's predominantly old or young. A church that's predominantly white or black. And on and on we could go. There's different ways that you can view majority culture, even within the church. And so when you find yourself in the majority, you will likely be blind to the concerns and feelings of those who are in the minority. So for example... If we're a church, which we are, made up of largely middle-aged adults, younger to middle-aged adults, some of you will find yourselves rarely praying for the concerns that mark some of our senior adults. Just think about that. When you pray, what are you praying about? Praying about marriage, family, kids? Unless you're prompted to pray by request, we will rarely pray for those perceived needs outside of our own felt needs. And so... We're invisible. We, 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 don't see, we don't see the needs of those around us. So what, if you're married with children, what about the singles around you? How are you praying for them? How are you encouraging them? On, I mean, we, we just break that into so many different examples within the church. The point of being is that the majority culture will have to be much more intentional in bearing with the minority culture and vice versa. How can we do that, though, unless we seek to learn from one another and be in each other's lives? Again, get to know folks who aren't like you in age, in life stage, in color, in financial context and backgrounds, because it's the gospel that brings us together, establishes the unity, and we're called to preserve it and maintain it. And there will be many times where you are struggling in forbearance because of all of these differences. Bearing with one another requires a gospel-driven commitment to other believers. And it will need to be all the more intentional the more differences that we find with one another. If anything else that this passage reminds us of is that we are not solitary believers. There's the church. You're not saved merely to exist on your own. You're saved by the grace of God from sin, from your own rebellion, into a community. And yes, this community, guess what? Is filled with other sinners. They're going to irritate you. They're going to annoy you. They're going to frustrate you. And you have a few choices. You can say, boy, I wish they would leave. Or I wish maybe I need to leave. Or you can see them through gospel lenses, as made in the image of God, 
saved by the same grace of God that you've been saved by. And you're to move towards them in love and gentleness, patiently bearing with them. As we close this morning, I want to read from Romans chapter 15. could have easily used this text for our sermon, but I think it ties right in with what we're saying. This is Paul to a different church, which implies, by the way, that this was not just an issue for the Ephesians. Apparently, the Romans may have struggled with this as well. And if the Ephesians and the Romans struggled with this, friends, so will we. Romans 15, verse 1, listen. We who are strong have an obligation, obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Friends, if we could just get that one verse. I'm going to read the rest. The church is so filled with people that just want, we just want to please ourselves. We want the music our way. We want the teaching our way. We want the classes lined up the way we think they should be. We want the children's ministry, the youth ministries, the adult ministries, and all the ministries that we do done our way. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together, together, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. A beautiful picture of a community rescued by grace, extending grace to others, bearing with one another to the glory and praise of God. May God grant that here. May he grant that here for his glory for the unity of this body, and for the good of those around us. We are a family that by God's grace will share eternity together. So you're going to have to learn to put up with some folks. You're going to live with them forever. You're going to have to learn to endure a little bit more. You're going to have to be patient a little bit more. You're going to have to bear with failings of the weak. The stronger Christians, that's what he's talking about here in Romans 15, the stronger believers that have have more of an understanding of the truth are going to have to bear with those who don't have quite the understanding. Being part of the family means that we will have many moments where we are called to forbear one another. In his book, People I Could Do Without, Donald Smith concluded, so what is the loss if we perch on different parts of the forest? I see it as the best of all worlds. Friends, the problem with that is that it's not the best of all worlds. The best of all worlds is when God radically transforms people, different as we are, and brings us into the same community by the same gospel, and then begins to display for a watching world 
the beautiful redemptive reality of his amazing grace through a fallen, stubborn, sinful, selfish community and over time transforms them by his grace and for his glory. He's called us to a life together and that will require bearing with one another in love. Let's do it by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth that's so dear to our hearts and souls. Lord, this is not easy. I confessed a couple of times in a couple of settings, prayer requests this week, as I was working on this message, because I find this hard. I find it hard with family. I find it hard in, in ministry. Lord, this does not come naturally for me, that I'm to bear patiently with humility and gentleness and, and kindness towards others. That part of my living out the Christian life is to be done in forbearance. So God, would you help me? Would you help me to be more patient, to be more willing to lay, uh, to lay aside my rights and, and my own preferences and my own desires and plans? Lord, that I would be willing to do that for the good and sake of others. And Father, that you would allow us to be a congregation marked by that truth. That we would be a people marked by humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. God, would you help us? Would you remind us of that glorious forbearance that you had for us in Christ? That you patiently endured all of our sin and all of our stubbornness and selfishness and pride God, that you, you, you were patient. You patiently pursued us in love. So God, help us to do that to others. By your grace and for your glory, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.